Welcome to Course Stories, produced by the Instructional Design and New Media Team of Ed Plus at Arizona State University. In this podcast, we tell an array of course design stories alongside other ASU Online designers and faculty. On today's course story, I think for faculty is to just, it's okay to take baby steps, right? I think there might be this feeling of like, oh, I've got to overhaul my whole course, right? And it's like, no, no, no. You know, like just let's take it one step at a time. Maybe it's adding a specific module on diversity. Another way is taking an assessment and thinking about, well, how could I provide maybe a few different options here, right? With my assignments, the rubric's the, the rubric, right? So, I mean, it's still that you need to meet certain criteria in the assignment, but the video you're looking at or the reading that you are referencing, that may be different. So I think, you know, for faculty, it's okay to just pinpoint maybe something in your course and kind of just work through those those principles and evaluate it and think about how you could make a change to to meet those Jedi principles. Hi, I'm Mary Loader, an instructional designer from ASU Online. I'm Ricardo Leone. I'm a media specialist at the same place. Yeah, we work together. Let's get on with the show. Okay. Okay, first of all, I just want to take this opportunity to plug ASU Online workshop and webinars because, well, Marcella set me up. Uh huh. So I'm allowed. That's where we're going to start the episode? I mean, no, you don't have to start it there, but I want to plug it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what are we listening to today, Mary? Well, we're listening to a conversation with Matt Robinson. Oh, mm-hmm. my boss? Your boss. Ooh. I know. <laughs> no, he's an awesome guy. Yeah. And he has a lot of things to talk about with Marcella Gemelli. Mm. In reference to technology and society, which they found a mutual love which you'll listen to. Oh, yeah. Within the conversation, which was really interesting. And the course itself is super interesting Mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. One of them is that they're exploring technology and society and why technology is the way that it is and all the cultural things behind it. Right. But also she is super cognizant of the Jedi mindset. You should like put Uh, some weird Star Wars song. Yeah, yeah, totally. Start playing right now. Something. Maybe (laughs) not theirs because we'll get sued. But like something cool there. Right, Right, right. Listener, you just heard that. Yeah. (laughs) So the Jedi mindset. Jedi stands for, let's do it at the same time. Justice, Justice, equity, equity, diversity, diversity, and and inclusion. inclusion. It's an initiative uh, through ASU. And throughout the world. And throughout the world. And throughout the galaxy. Yes. Throughout (laughs) the galaxy. Throughout the universe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To have some more considerations about justice, equity, and diversity in our courses, but I guess in all all realms of life absolutely but this course does a really good job of it i mm-hmm. mean the kind of content diversity that she has the diversity of mindsets around technology mm-hmm. she has some asu professors sprinkled yeah. in there along with international perspectives very cool yeah. yeah if i were to take a class i would take this class yeah i'm not because i'm still like you know in master's mind of like ah oh, that was really hard that was a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> i haven't finished mine <laughs> You know, it's a lot of work, but eventually this would be the class I would take. Mm. It sounds cool. Yeah. And the kind of conversations that take place around why technology has affected society in the way that it has. Mm -hmm. 
I find that fascinating. Yeah. And I love that she gives her students an opportunity to really explore that in an open way, like a social media-esque, like gloves aren't necessarily off, but Mm -hmm. it's not like you're having to write 100 words and you need to cite your sources. No, you can go in and just share your thoughts and Mm -hmm. share links to things that you think are cool and build conversations organically on things your students care about. Right. Right. Really cool. Very cool. And uh, and also some suggestions on how you can make your courses uh, more inclusive to the Jedi mindset. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. All right. May the Force be with us. And also with you. No. I don't, we probably not shouldn't like that. lean on the Star Wars thing no, too much. No, not too much. Okay. It's not appropriate. Hello, I'm Matthew Robinson. I'm the manager of the new media team here at Ed Plus. And with me today for a great conversation is... Marcella. I'm Marcella Jamelli. I am director of the online master's program in sociology and a senior lecturer in the T. Denny Sanford School of Social and Family Dynamics, aka the Sanford School or SSFD. I am a long timer here at ASU with 15 years of teaching, mentoring, and administrative experiences. I enjoy engaging with inclusive and sociological pedagogy and implementing new techniques for teaching in my classes. I also appreciate being involved in committees centered around technology and diversity. I'm currently the faculty lead for the College Dean's Office Digital Initiatives Committee and serve as a member of the College Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee. Excellent. That's an impressive set of uh, uh, accomplishments here. And we've both been here for 15 years at the university. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about the work that you just mentioned a little bit, which is the work around justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and particularly how it affects the development of your online classes as well. So I think maybe it might be helpful to start with, as it's referred to around here, Jedi, what that work is and kind of how it came to be a part of your focus and uh, certainly part of the development process for your courses. Sure. So this is exciting stuff. In May of 2021, there was a call for applications to advance justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, that's JEDI, initiatives throughout the college. It was to engage some faculty perspectives on the development and the launch of effective anti-racist practices. So they invited some summer faculty fellows to apply. We worked with Delia Sands, who is no longer here. She's at UC Merced, but she was the chief diversity officer of the college, and it was wonderful to work with her. She was amazing. There were three different areas where she wanted to focus. One was diversification of the curriculum. Another one was incorporating JEDI work into faculty evaluation. So looking at annual reviews and promotion and tenure, making sure that faculty are paying attention and doing JEDI work. And then also advancing equitable climate at the unit level with anti-racist training um, in education. 
So my focus was on diversification of the curriculum, and it was really timely. It was a very timely opportunity for me because I had been spending a lot of time prior to May 2021 thinking about my own curriculum, whether or not it was inclusive, whether it actively promoted Jedi principles. So, you know, I attended a lot of professional development workshops. I completed a lot of trainings. I researched best practices. I was also, at the time, um, we were in the middle of redesigning our sociology undergraduate curriculum because we had a number of new faculty hires. Our focus is on inequalities. So, you know, we were kind of building that. And so all of this I was really, really thinking about for a while. And, you know, our unit, I'm just because of everything that was going on in the world, we were also engaged in, in conversations and faculty meetings and other places about diversity. So this fellowship really was, again, very, very timely, and I applied and um, was able to, to do the work, um, producing a report about diversification of the curriculum. Now, I would like to think that everyone listening would understand why this Jedi work is so important, but... I'm curious kind of to hear your thoughts on why um, you felt like this was a very important thing to get involved in with your courses. I'm a sociologist, so it's really a rather natural extension of the work that I've just been doing. Since my undergrad days at University of Oregon, go Ducks, sorry, had to do that, <laughs> I know, go Devils, but go Ducks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that sociology program, again, very focused on inequalities but also with, you know, kind of a social change ideal with it. Because not all sociology lends itself necessarily to being like activist or applied or about change. But that program was. And then even in my master's program at Portland State, I guess go Vikings. (laughs) (laughs) Again, a very similar, very similar program and um, with sociology and a focus on inequality. So, you know, this has just kind of been in my wheelhouse Mm -hmm. for a long time. And I feel like I've always approached my courses, you know, being very student centered and thinking about especially here at ASU, you know, the variety of learners and different learners that we have here. I've been teaching in the online program since 2011. And so, you know, our demographics a little different with our students. And so it made intuitive sense to me to to be conscious of that. And a plug for ASU Online, I mean, they've always been, always been really, I think, on the vanguard of understanding this, too. The instructional designers, to your work with the studio, you know, just the whole thing, making sure that, that instructors are present, making sure that we have good courses that are organized well and formatted. It just all kind of comes together. So I, I feel like it's really important as faculty that we pay attention to to our students and and how they're learning and what they're learning and um, how we can be allies with them in their learning journeys. Absolutely. Do you feel like over the course of the 15 years you've been teaching and already having somewhat of a focus on these things, do you feel like you've seen a change in sort of students focus on this interest? Well, yeah. And I mean, that's like, that's part of it too, right? I mean, students want, they they want to, 
hear different perspectives. They want to learn about, like, for my, for example, in my social theory class, we talk about, yeah, there's the old dead white men, right, that had these sociological, theoretical thoughts, but there were a lot of other contributing, you know, people to sociological theory. They just had been marginalized, and they hadn't been mentioned, and they weren't talked about. So, you know, yeah, students are definitely ones that are helping to propel changes um, in curriculum and, you know, wanting to hear and see others who are like them and who have contributed to the academy. So, yeah, for sure, students are very much a part of why we need to be paying attention to this. Yeah, it's very encouraging to hear so when we're talking about, specifically, let's just start talking about your course, uh, Sociology 334, Technology and Society. Well, first off, let's talk a little bit about what the course is. Can you tell me kind of what excites you about the course? Sure. Technology and Society, it's like a parent with children. I probably shouldn't <laughs> name favorites, <laughs> but... And I can't say this, but I, I love this class. I love technology and society, but I do. I love my theory class. I love my work class. So I can't really, I can't really say it's my favorite, but it is one of my favorites. It's just, I mean, it's technology and society, right? Like it's technology and we're all in it right now. We're doing a podcast. So it's like, we are using technology and I'll even, you know, go back to the workshop that you all put on, you know, a few weeks ago about using podcasts in your classes, right? So it's like, oh, there's always some new ways to use technology, hopefully to our benefit, but sometimes it's not. And sometimes technology does not mean we're all have access or we all have, you know, the same just resources around it, mm -hmm. even though much of it has become so essential to our everyday lives and being successful, especially in education. Okay, let's just take a moment here mm -hmm. because Marcella gave me an opening here. The podcast webinar that you guys did was excellent. Mm. And listeners, you can attend our workshop and webinars, listeners, anytime you want. They're open to anybody, not just ASU online faculty mm -hmm. or ASU faculty, anyone in the world. In fact, we have people all over the world that come to these, especially after the times of COVID. And we cover all kinds of subjects around teaching and mm -hmm. teaching online. So many varied things. Mm -hmm. So please visit the Eventbrite site where we advertise these workshops and webinars and sign up for as many as you can for the rest of this year. And we will be published publishing next year's schedule before December. That'll give me a date to do it. Before December, we will have next year's <laughs> published and ready for you to also register for. Wow, the person in charge of that should thank you very much for being so uh, good at promoting I'm that. I'm going to pat myself on the back there right now. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so Technology and Society, it's one of the classes we first developed. I developed it with a colleague in 2011. Well, for launching, I think, in 2011, when our program went online. So there were a number of classes that we developed to go online. And it's obviously, it's gone through many, many renditions since 2011. But, you know, there's still some real basics about technology. So one of the things I like to focus on in the class or help students understand is that technology is not just social media. It's not just, like, your laptop. It's started with, like, stone tools and mm. fire it starts with this kind of, you know, and maybe a need. Um, sometimes it's a want. It seems like we've moved more into the wants more. about technology <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> than the needs. But, you know, the technology often 
answers a need. And so, you know, early tools through, you know, just throughout history, the printing press, you know, we talk about Mm. that. That's like a huge piece. But it also involves the social factors um, that were included in that. So it's like one thing to put out a printing press. But what happened with the printing press is that it became a way that reading became available to the masses, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what's you know, that's what's kind of exciting about technology, but it also means that there's social forces involved, there's politics involved, there's money, there's, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And the time has to be right. Right. So, you know, I, I just try to place that kind of understanding that, you know, it's it's a very meaningful thing, but we need to really look at all these other factors that are around it. And it's an exciting course as well, because it meets the science and society requirement, gen ed requirement. And so I get majors and non-majors yeah. in the class. And so I, I love hearing from the science students because they may not have ever thought about, you know, if they're computer science or something, they're kind of like, it's more about the science sure. of, you know, doing that or coding or whatever it is. And then I'm like, oh, but what about the humans, right? <laughs> like, I, I like to tell them, like, and <laughs> it's great to hear their perspectives because then, like, they're like, oh, wow, you know, there are these different factors to technology. And so I just, you know, I, I love the class. I, I love to hear from students and learn from them and their perspectives and their experiences. So it's just, yeah, it's it's an exciting class. Yeah, it would seem like with any new technology that gets introduced, right, there's maybe the good that it's addressing and immediately and why it was created, right, to fulfill a need, as you mentioned, like the printing press leads to reading being more widely available, right? But then there's always like the other side of it, right, where I think a technology can quickly get utilized for other things. Like I would imagine propaganda comes up relatively quickly when talking about something like the printing press. And it seems to me that this class would be so interesting because we're always in a constant as a society, right? And always in a constant conversation with technology because it's constantly changing. I mean, more so now than even 50 years ago, right? Right. And there's always these, you know, when new things come up, like, you know, when the television came out, oh, it's going to ruin society, right? Like we always have these (laughs) ideas that when the new technology comes out, it's going to ruin society. And then, you know, the next one comes out. Or even if you're into music right like i don't want to date myself but like the disappearance of the album right of where it was constructed from the beginning to the end of like and it was a story it was a composition Mm -hmm. and like now we just have itunes and it's just like these one little right so some would say it's the ruining of music (laughs) (laughs) but there's always again there's those like you're saying there's the you know kind of the benefits and the the drawbacks and i have a survey in the, the beginning of my class and you know i just ask questions about students, you know, feelings about technology. And I have a few throughout the semester, but I have two questions that are purposeful. Like one is technology will make a better world. And then the other one is technology will ruin our world. (laughs) And there's agreement on both of them. And I said, see, this is what this is what I'm talking about. Right. What makes it so interesting as a topic and something to explore. Yeah, absolutely. In your experience developing the course, I think there's a couple of different things I want to talk about, but I think to relate it back to some of the Jedi work that we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, in that developing of the course or in the, the sort of evolution probably more of it over the course of several years, what are some of the things that are changes that you've made in order to try to address the diversity of the curriculum and kind of uh, address some of these Jedi concerns that have come up in, in that area of study that you've done? 
Yeah. So, I mean, one very purposeful module is about diversity in technology and science. I have a video by Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about the politics of representation. And attached to that module is videos and some trailers. So it's all kind of Jedi. You know, like I showcase a a short video by the Iranian girls who code, right? Mm. Or just showing diversity in science, essentially. And part of that assignment then, which I've learned from the Peralta rubric and some best practices for diversity and inclusion and kind of designing courses, is creating some choice for students. So part of it is students can choose kind of which video, right? There's one on kind of more like environmental sustainability practices, small farmers to, again, you know, girls who are coding or you know doing robotics. So students can choose, right? And I think that's a part of, again, that, that course design and paying attention to who our learners are, what they might be interested in, those, again, politics of representation, seeing themselves in these science fields and things like that. So that's definitely one area that came into focus for me of being more purposeful for including those in the class. And then the fact that you're giving them that choice allows them to actually, like like you said, pursue the things that feel like representative of them, right. which seems really aligned with this. Well, and we've seen that, that that's aligned with student success, right? Granted, we all sometimes have to read a novel that you don't want to read for your English class, (laughs) right? But when you're invested and, you know, you find it more interesting, you'll probably do better because you're just like, oh, yeah, this is this is really cool. And I want to hear more about it and I want to learn about it. And, oh, yeah, now I can apply those principles. Now I can apply those concepts that we are learning about to this assignment. So it's, you know, really about applying that content, but doing it in a way that just, you know, feels good for the student. The Peralta Equity Rubric. Yes. What is that? It's called the Peralta Equity Rubric because it was designed by Peralta Community College. Mm. And I didn't know that. Oh. Anyway, did you know that? No, I don't know anything about it. That's why I asked. Okay, to be fair. So the Peralta Equity Rubric, it's a research-based course redesign or design evaluation instrument that's used by teachers and instructional designers Mm -hmm. to help improve the experiences of online courses, making them more equitable for all students. Oh, so the Peralta rubric is specifically for online courses. Well, it's not specifically... Actually, yeah, I guess it is. It says online. Yeah, I suppose it is for online. But I think it can be used anywhere. I think it's just a matter of like, do you have digital materials in a digital place? And I feel like even in-person courses have these digital spaces that their students inhabit. So I feel like it shouldn't be just online. It's really, if you're including content in a digital format, are you thinking about the perspectives and the ways that people are accessing your content? Mm-hmm. I would think thanks to technology, right, that it's now a lot easier than maybe it would have been even 10, 15 years ago to diversify your curriculum and the kinds of videos you're choosing and the kinds of uh, choices that your students are going to be able to make there. But are there challenges around the fact that there is just so much out there that you could potentially choose from? And the world's a very connected place thanks to technology. But I imagine that also is, you know, it's you've gone from maybe a few options to almost an infinite amount. Yeah, that's huge. Because I know when I am looking up stuff, you go down quite a few rabbit holes. Like, oh oh no. (laughs) And then I don't know where you, you know, you end up somewhere where you're like, I don't even know how I got here. But I think again, so as 
faculty and paying attention to your pedagogy and your content in the class, you know, that's how you stay focused, right? Because you could just like, oh, there's just two, you know, an infinite number of things we could do here. But if, you know, your readings are pertaining to, you know, a certain content, like big data or something, right, then you can keep it focused in, in that certain realm. It is challenging. And I always change my course from session to session. But in one of the sessions, I had students find the videos or the movie or a documentary or even a reading like a book that they read. And I mean, they were amazing, you know, what they found. And so some of those I actually were able to include then in, oh, in my wonderful. other classes. Yeah. So it's like, oh, this is great. And I, you know, and I, I tell them like, can I use this? <laughs> like, this is really good stuff. So, you know, and again, that empowers them as learners to be involved with that. And, you know, I, with that class, especially, I am just like, tell your friends, talk to your family, like share all this news. And, you know, that's part of the learning process is, is just kind of talking it out with other people who may not be as aware of like all these things that are happening. So to me, that's like spreading the, spreading the love of learning and, hmm. and joy. So now you mentioned that you change your course uh, almost every time it runs to some degree and level of that. Um, and I imagine that's not just like content that can also be tools and that you're using in the course or approaches to the way you're teaching and things do you do you feel that there's resistance to to do that i mean i know your course tends to lend itself to at least the curriculum changing because so much of it's changing in the society that we're in uh, all the time but do you feel like colleagues other faculty become I mean, what are the challenges i guess around changing your course so frequently yeah i mean i i mean i have the time and, and quite frankly it's my job description as mm -hmm. as you know in is a lecturer to to be in charge of my teaching and so that means to me that that's that's my main purpose and so that I have the time and and I should be doing that right it is more of a challenge probably for faculty who don't teach as much who may you know they're more research based faculty and they teach a course maybe once a year or something like that. But then you have a year, right? So like invest some time and energy into kind of updating your materials yeah. or, I mean, there, again, like there's some, I feel like kind of classic and standard materials that I won't ever replace sure. because they're just foundational, right? And like, and that's important. So I think it might be helpful to talk through a little bit more about each element of what JEDI stands for. So we, we've mentioned that's justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. But, you know, I'm curious, I guess, to know what, how you would perhaps define or see each one of those elements when making these considerations and these decisions about not only the curriculum, but the approach to teaching as well. Yeah, so you know, I've been in, in meetings and discussions with colleagues and, you know, I've heard, but I think it does come down somewhat to a little bit of how we interpret these personally and what that means and in, in how we deliver and design courses. But, you know, I think justice for me is just that feeling of fairness, right? So that feeling of all students have that right to learn in this class, to feel just that it's, well, you know, kind of equitable again, right? So so justice is, is, I guess, more of that fairness piece. Equitable is designing a course where, you know, I, I mean, really, if we're just getting to the nuts and bolts, assignments 
are graded fairly, right? I mean, they, they have a rubric. Everybody's assigned to a certain kind of expectation. You know, I'm not going to give you 10 points and I'm going to give you 15 if you've essentially said the same thing, right? So there's got to be some you know, accountability there so that students feel like it's an equitable place to learn for students. Does that also equate to like projects or anything in the course where you would you would make sure that there's maybe multiple ways to approach that project that, that kind of doesn't require necessarily like high speed internet and a supercomputer <laughs> or a camera or a, n- a number of things that, you know, might affect the equity of this. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I think over the years, especially in this course, I mean, I've tried, you know, some different platforms, some things that get added to the course. And not in this course, but I used to use VoiceThread. And some technologies are great, but I think there's always that piece of this could be really difficult for a student if they don't have access to this or if they don't have, you know, even just kind of the right technological tools mindset. Mm. And to me, I don't don't want to burden students with that. You know, we've talked in a different conversation about cognitive load and cognitive load is is, you know, taking away stuff that they have to figure out that isn't related to the content of the course. So technology can be great, but if you're stuck trying to figure out like how to download it on your computer or, you know, whatever, um, or getting your microphone to work on your laptop, that's 20 years old, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I don't want to, I don't want you to have to go through that because then that's going to take away from the learning of the course. So I think that's a really good point about being equitable in, in a classroom. Diversity, I find diversity is just, it's a diversity of learners. We all come to this institution from different educational journeys. Some have been more privileged than others. Some students know exactly how to navigate college because they've seen themselves there. They've seen their siblings there. They've seen their other family members there. But, you know, if we're first a first-gen student, we're now a Hispanic-serving institution. It's really, really important that we have examples and people and faculty that show that we all belong here, that we are all able to learn in this space. Um, I think that um, inclusion, which leads me to the inclusion piece, is that sense of belonging and that sense of we all belong here and we are all included to be learners in this space. Um, And that's, you know, the ASU Charter. ASU Charter tells us that, right? So ASU has been named a Hispanic-serving institution by the U.S. Department of Education. So the Hispanic-serving institutions division provides grant funding to institutions of higher education to assist with strengthening institutional programs, facilities, and services to expand the educational opportunities for Hispanic Americans and other underrepresented populations. So it's a really big deal. We're getting extra money Mm -hmm. to make sure that we are providing opportunities for our existing environment, which is already quite diverse at ASU. So that's kind of a big deal. It's a big deal. And as as a person of uh, Hispanic heritage, I would just like to say gracias. Aww. You know, using those principles, and we've touched on a few, I think, of how diversity and inclusion are used in my classes or how I purposefully, you know, include those, whether it's through content, whether it's through choice of assignments, Hearing from students, hearing their perspectives. In my other courses, I have a work in an organizations class, and 
I like to hear from my students what their work experience is like, how their family's work experience has shaped, you know, their ideas about work. And, you know, the stories are are wonderfully, you know, examples of, you know, some students are here as even a first generation American student, you know, American student, their parents are from a different place and they don't have the same educational level as they do, but they worked, you know, in a certain capacity to help that student get to where they are now. So, I mean, it's just to me highlighting those stories and and hearing from students and incorporating that with content is really all those Jedi principles. So I think when we're talking about all these justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, all these approaches that you've taken to your class, is there a set of standards that are used right now at ASU or or even more globally that kind of make recommendations of what these considerations mean when teaching and things like that? I mean, we still do quality matters. And quality matters is important because it's research-based teaching best practices for online. And then I completed, so ACUE, uh, which was like a 26-module course on, again, teaching best practices. Diversity was part of that. But what I really liked about that certification, what I liked about that course, was that it really held you accountable. So it was either that you were planning what you would do in your course as you are teaching it, which is a little difficult to do in in online courses because you have to have so much developed ahead of time or what you would do in a future course. And so I would consistently look back at that and find out things that I should be doing in my (laughs) courses that I said, oh, I'm going to do this. So that was really important. And then the Peralta equity rubric Um, I was really excited to see ASU Online kind of promoting that for best teaching best practices, you know, and they have a rubric that holds faculty accountable to, you know, what these standards are. So again, one of them is instructor presence, you know, in those different ways of whether it's visually or um, just making sure you're connected with your students online. You know, unfortunately, I've heard of some students who have online classes and they're like, I do I have an instructor? I don't know, right? Like, and that's no. Um, so just even being involved. And then again, the choice of content uh, or choice of um, sometimes assignment options, that's definitely a piece of that. And there's a lot of different areas of the rubric that I have, you know, kind of made sure that I'm you know, making sure that I adhere to um, for my students. Okay. I do want to talk about the ASU Online Design Standards because, again, Marcella brought it up. I feel it's fair. Mm-hmm. We're going to link them in the show notes. Mm-hmm. They're exemplary. Mm-hmm. They're not only, you know, including of the Quality Matters rubric, which she mentioned. It's also the Peralta rubric. But I want to lead, I want to read a couple of them to you. Um, this one is specific to the course overview and, like, introduction to the course. So just right out of the gate. We want to make sure that everybody feels included and welcome and set a tone of rapport that creates a place of participation and collaboration, Mm -hmm. multiple diverse perspectives, feeling of inclusion so you feel like you can speak and Mm -hmm. will be heard by all. And so I think that's a big deal. In the Peralta rubric, it's about having a specific statement around diversity and inclusion, but then it also has to do with the tone, the way that you introduce your class. I have this one professor who has a survey on like, how would you like me to refer to you? How Mm -hmm. do you feel about 
about this class and it's, uh, you know, inclusion in your world. And so Mm -hmm. really finding out who your students are is a big part of that as well. It's not just making a statement. It's also really getting to know them and knowing their diverse perspectives and experiences and how that will affect your classroom or influence your classroom. I should say influence, not affect. The other one that Marcella does really well is the inclusion of diverse content and perspectives and also the invitation for students to express their own experiences and their own diverse lens of experience to the classroom and the way that learning is taking place. She's exemplary. I would mark her exemplary on that. Okay. One more thing from the Peralta equity rubric. Mm -hmm. It's one of their first standards and it's around the tools and resources in the course. And are you providing enough resources for all students to be able to feel like they can use that product and it's not weighing too heavily on them, like the cognitive load consideration. Mm -hmm. She did a really nice job with that. And she's also very mindful about the technology she uses. Like, would it be easy to adopt? And I think that her course probably does really well because she is using like a social media-esque tool like Yellowdig. So most students are on social media Mm -hmm. and generally know what that space feels like and how you're supposed to interact in that space and how to use it, right? Emojis and liking posts and responding to an original thread. Threads matter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I just think she does a really nice job. So The location of where they might go to learn about technology is clearly provided in her course. Mm -hmm. She gives really good instruction on how they can use it, where they can get help. And she also has that really clear way of how to contact somebody if something does go awry. So Mm -hmm. really nice job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lovely. So there's kind of the ease at which, you know, there's accessibility or the way the user experience being so, so, you know, easy to handle helps reduce the cognitive load. Absolutely. I'm learning. Meaningful implications of using technology in your classroom. Hmm. That sounded smart, but it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was smart. I don't know. I'm doing a lot right now, so I can't really tell. Well, you're the king. When we're talking about all of your experience here at ASU and teaching this course, Technology and Society, and then being kind of in this early days of what feels like a charge or a movement at ASU to kind of make these Jedi considerations more front and center, what would you tell faculty who are just beginning to maybe make these considerations that have some apprehension or fear of how to get started with these? Do you have advice that you might be able to give from all your experience? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I... I mean, first of all, I would say I'm never done, that there's always, especially if I'm looking at that rubric, there's more for me to do. There's more for me to pay attention to and to include in my courses. So I feel like my learning is never done. You know, that's why I'm always attending different workshops and professional development, because I want to enhance that learning experience for my students. So, I mean, that could be one thing of, you know, it's not a one and you're done and mm-hmm. you move on. Um, it's it's kind of constant. But I think for faculty is to just, it's okay to take baby steps, right? I think there might be this feeling of like, oh, I've got to overhaul my whole course, right? And it's like, no, no, no. You know, like just let's take it one step at a time. Maybe it's, again, you know, just adding a specific module on diversity or, you know, whatever it is for that topic. Another way is just, you know, taking an assessment 
and thinking about, well, how could I provide maybe a few different options here, right? With my assignments, the rubric's the, the rubric, right? So, I mean, it's still that you need to meet certain criteria in the assignment, but the video you're looking at or, you know, the reading that you are referencing, that may be different. And that's okay, as long as it's, you know, kind of a quality source or whatever. So I think, you know, for faculty, it's okay to just pinpoint maybe something in your course and kind of just work through those those principles and evaluate it and think about how you could make a change to to meet those Jedi principles. I think also you know, I, I like to use yellow dig discussions in technology and society just because it's Again, it allows for a lot of choice for students. Um, I mean, I still provide a prompt. That's just my style of, of doing it. But it's very relational to something that's like happening right now, right? So there's like, I mean, I feel like if I say something, it's already going to be outdated. <laughs> <laughs> but like an example was the movement to 5G and airplanes and like airports mm-hmm. and how this was going to affect the airline industry. And that was like a perfect example because we talk about socio-technical systems, which means that technological artifacts or a technology like an airplane is affected by these other factors, right? And of course, there's critics and proponents and let's look at all these angles. So, you know, I want students to be able to make those connections. And Yellow Dick's a great place for that because it is more, it looks social media based. It's a little more fun. You know, I wouldn't put a real heavy discussion in there necessarily. And again, this goes back to just being purposeful with your design for classes and, you know, what content and, and what you think you want your students to gain from from what you're doing, from what assignments you have. But it definitely fits for this class because, as you said, there's just something new. Yeah, it's constantly evolving. All the, the time. The other thing I just noticed in talking to you today is that you seem to listen to your students a lot and you seem to invite that in the way that you've designed your course so that they are almost allies in some of the shaping of, of this and around some of these Jedi aspects in your course. You're, you're listening to the things that they're engaging with. You're paying attention to those things. It seems to be another factor in this as well, which I think is really unique and, and quite spectacular. Thank you. So one of the instructors at ASU that she has highlighted in her course is Andrew Maynard. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. He is, I would call him the king of podcasts, but you're the king of podcasts. No, and you did that that day in the room. <laughs> I was so offended. I mean, he's really good, though. And he's had, I don't even think any help. Like, he has amazing sound quality. He has a great dress of his set because he does these on YouTube. You can actually go and YouTube Andrew Maynard. I've learned so much from his little videos that he's made, and they're so easy to watch. Mm-hmm. And then in addition, He's written a book on the future of technology and implications of technology on society. Mm-hmm. He's great. To have his perspective in this course, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's a local. Like, we could just go knock on his door and be like, hey, Andrew, you want to come on our podcast? And he might say yes. No, maybe he can host it, too. Maybe he can edit it and produce it. Oh, God. You know what? I didn't want to hurt your feelings, but maybe he would. Oh. <laughs> All right. One final question. How does your course story end for students and faculty and really the the whole university around what we've talked about today? 
Yeah, I really like how you put that students are allies in learning. Maybe I'm humble, but I mean, yes, I have some expert. Obviously, I have expertise to, to teach <laughs> sociological concepts, but I mean, they're the ones living life and the everyday. And so it's so important to listen to them. And I think, you know, our students, they're what make the university the university. We are here to make a good experience, to, to have a great learning experience for them. And they, they deserve it, right? Like they deserve everything that we can give them. So I think, you know, the big takeaway here is that we're in, edu- we're in an educational space and that, you know, our students belong, they're important, their viewpoints, their perspectives, how, how they contribute. And as faculty and, you know, others at the university level, like, they're our lifeblood. They're, they're what keeps us churning and, and, you know, keeps us, you know, we talk about ASU being the place of innovation and they help us do that because there's always new ideas and new and fresh perspectives that are coming through all the time. So, you know, I think, yeah, to, to remain innovative and on top of things, it's our students. Love it. This has been a really wonderful conversation, Marcella, and I think your passion and thoughtfulness teaching came through in a really strong way. And I admire all the things that you're doing in this course. So kudos to you. So for those that have listened today and would like to know more about the work you're doing and you, um, where could they find more information? Which, how could they get involved in, in Jedi efforts at ASU or in their own university? Well, that's a great question. I'm always happy to I don't look I don't have a fancy website or anything yet yet see maybe I'll I'll put one together <laughs> I don't know we'll see but I can be emailed at marcella.gemelli at asu.edu but I also encourage faculty to just pay attention to you know what their units are doing I know as a Jedi faculty fellow that we have kind of had a hiatus a little bit but we're going to be back to meeting uh, monthly in the college about these initiatives and you know whether that's in the curriculum or faculty evaluations those those main areas that were part of the fellowship call for applications so you know I, I know across the university there's faculty doing amazing things and departments are paying attention to these things it is something where we can spread the love and you know spread spread the work a little bit you know I mentioned in in a video I recorded that highlighted my Jedi work that it need not rest on a few of us that are committed to these these Jedi principles. But there are some of us who probably need to lead the charge a bit, but that we can distribute the work. So, you know, if we're looking at, you know, teaching, we can look to those who have classes that are set up well, and maybe we could ask them like, hey, what are your best practices? Would you be willing to share that with other faculty, especially new faculty that we're hiring to help them to onboard with that. And then there's going to be people who are like really good with data. And so those faculty or those staff who are interested in really, you know, digging into demographics and figuring out who our students are and maybe doing some evaluation of students in our courses, maybe they could take the charge on, you know, working with the data. 
we have different strengths as as faculty and staff members, and I think that it would be great to encourage faculty meetings or whatever kind of get-togethers that you know faculty and and units have is to put this on the agenda. And it can be in those different areas of diversification of the curriculum. It could be the, the evaluations, and then it could be evaluating climate in our units and, and figuring out what are we doing well and what do we need to, to do to improve? Because we're all doing some great stuff. I know it. But, you know, like I said, I mean, we, we all have room to grow and to, to make improvements. Well, that was a great conversation. I'm- oh, one thing. If you ever get the chance to hear Matt's Lunch and Learn mm-hmm. uh, with him playing records, yeah. do it. Yes. If you're invited cool. into an Ed Plus Lunch and Learn with Matt playing, <laughs> go. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can link one. I think they've recorded them in the past. I believe so. Yeah. Let's yeah, ask we'll him which see. one he'd want us to link. Yeah. Maybe the Halloween one from last year. It's kind of timely. Mm-hmm. It was a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, Mary, what do we want to ask the listeners to do? Subscribe. Listen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Write us an email. Let us know you're out there. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you think. And don't forget that all the things that we've been talking about throughout the episode, there's likely to be some sort of reference or link or way to connect in our show notes on our Teach Online articles. Teachonline.asu.edu forward slash podcasts forward slash course stories or feel free to go to instruction by design they're also there too but if you want to go to ours it's course stories mm-hmm. but we're both there so feel free to listen anytime you have a moment to catch up on all the episodes of the past mm-hmm. and to tune in for the ones in the future yeah and we're gonna really up our social media game so we're gonna give you just another platform and a way to reach out to us and also for us to share out this information so as soon as you see those things come across your way please follow us on instagram LinkedIn, all those different things. Course Stories is available wherever you listen to podcasts. You can reach us at coursestories at asu.edu. Course Stories is produced by the Instructional Design and New Media Team at EdPlus at Arizona State University. If you're an instructor at ASU Online, tell us your course story and we may feature it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.